When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the defense, sorry, the offense discussion. We <laughs> talked a little bit of defense, too. Uh, and here joining me again is Alec Pulianis of One Winning Pod. Alec, how are you doing? Doing well, Ken. Always great talking football with you. All right. Great to have you back. People haven't heard this probably in three hours or something, and they're listening to the second, <laughs> the second part of this pod. By the way, this is important. If you didn't already get the first pod, go back and get that. There's a lot of good stuff. Uh, on the on the first pod that we want to talk a lot of Lamar Jackson, a lot about the injury report on the short week, uh, a lot of talks about Ravens scheme. If you like the run game, you got the game you wanted. If you like compressed offense, you really got the game you wanted. <laughs> if you like the Ravens being pressured by four, five, and six by a familiar opponent, you didn't get the game you wanted. And uh, and we, we we discussed that fairly thoroughly in that first episode. So we hope you'll go back and and give that a uh, any any favorite part from the first pod you want to bring up that I've forgotten that was good. Oh, I, I definitely liked our conversation about the use of heavies and, uh, yeah, the overall run game effectiveness and uh, just talking about that overall scheme point, uh, that very heavy run game this game, very few pass attempts, uh, not letting you know your pass catchers get too much opportunity to make plays with the ball. All right. Outstanding stuff. I need to thank our sponsor right now, and that is Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Thanks, Liquid Death, for sponsoring the show. Uh, let's, uh, move on and talk some offensive line. How about that? Are we good for that yeah. now? Sure. Yeah. And I, I guess we got to talk without Stanley, uh, the left tackle. I thought he had a very solid game. Um, very few complaints when watching the film, 
I thought that uh, this game, you know, I was surprised that he missed some snaps. I'm, I'm curious, like we talked about briefly with the injury report, if there's something more going on there. doesn't seem that way. He did end the game. Um, but I thought he had a very good performance, and I'm hoping that the a full game comes from him soon because it looked like it was trending that way, this game. It did. And, and, you know, I guess we found out a little more that they really had planned a ramp-up period for him, uh, and and they had to play him every snap of the second half, I guess it was, in – in. Uh, uh, the uh, Giants game. Giants game. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they because they uh, they did not have um, Moses uh, right. after his heel injury. So uh, and and at least they, it shows they had a barrier they didn't want to cross. They didn't want to put Fala Lily back in the game. And they had him available, but they so they there is a there is a threshold of pain they were not willing to cross <laughs> for, yeah. for, uh, uh, to, for to have Stanley out of there. They really needed him in there. Only had three negative plays and 54 snaps, though. Uh, 1.5 pressures, uh, a third of a quarterback hit. Uh, that would otherwise have been uh, probably just a pressure in that particular case, but uh, uh, one-third of a quarterback hit uh, uh, is, is a minus one uh, in this system. Uh, good mobility uh, in this game. Five blocks in level two, one pancake, seven of seven on poles. If your left tackle can do that, you're probably in pretty good shape. And they're running the ball. They're running the balls left some. And they're trying to get him into level two. But I'm telling you, a lot of what Ronnie Stanley does is making a block out of nothing. Uh, he, you know, He's a very high effort left tackle. And if you really want to see the low effort left tackle, look to the other team. Because Cleveland <laughs> has one of the lowest left, de- left, tackle, left uh, tackle effort guys in the whole league in Jed Wills. And that guy, you know, won't go out of his way to make a block. He won't even finish his own, his own blocks, let alone go out, <laughs> go out of his way to make another block. Um, but he's uh, uh, yeah, Stanley's a very special cat in that way. And one of the things I noticed is you, know, you, you mentioned the, in part one about the number of times that the Browns had ruined a run play by having a guy from the back, extra man from the backside of the play mm-hmm. enter the backfield and chase the play down across the formation. And they had the speed some speed guys. Taki Taki is a, is a little bit quick. And if anything goes wrong, he's, he can, he can certainly get there. But JOK is really the weapon um, of guys who can, who can cross the formation to make a play uh, uh, as needed. Yep. I did see a lot of that, mostly from Moses' side. I felt like not to say that was necessarily his fault. Just, I felt like that's where I saw most of it from. Okay. And, uh, but some of those plays went, and I did see it come from Stanley's side at least once or twice, mm-hmm. where he tried to make two blocks on the play. So he'll stand up, and he has a very interesting technique of getting a guy in the wash to the inside, and yeah. then there's an extra guy to the outside, and all he has to do is put his hand on that guy. Just the, the force of a of a man Stanley's side doing that to what oftentimes is going to be a safety, uh, maybe the slot corner coming off the edge trying to make a play on the run, really will will. It'll almost bring him to a dead stop, but it'll definitely move him way off his track uh, to to uh, you know make up on a run play. So he he really understands the amount of kinetic energy he's delivering <laughs> with these yeah. blocks and getting people into the wash and whatnot. And I I so appreciate watching him play again and the and the things he brought. If if he can you convey any of this to Daniel Faalele. You know, Falele is not in any danger of taking Ronnie Stanley's job at left tackle. Falele will take, you know, Moses, I want to call him Edwin Moses every time, Morgan Moses' job at right tackle. 
And if he's able to do some of these things to, you know, put a hand on two different players, boy, the Ravens be so much more valuable. You know, a guy like Falele's wingspan and additional size, you know, you're going to see a guy who can push people by the pocket sometimes, you know, with his length alone. Um, I'm, I am, I hope that they develop that sort of relationship. And, you know, a lot of times the left tackle and there's another left tackle there. And he says, well, I'm not his mentor. And certainly quarterbacks <laughs> are very much this way. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, they don't, they don't really want to, I mean, imagine Mac Jones being Billy Zappi's quarterback, <laughs> quarterback <laughs> mentor right now. Yeah. That's a, that, that's a natural relationship. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, Stanley, uh, uh, five blocks in level time. We already went through that three highlights mm-hmm. in the game. And, uh, you know, one of them was one of these two blocks in the backfield, uh, plays as well. A for the game, he only scored about 81, which by itself in its, in itself would be a B a tackle. It would take an 87 to get an A minus and 88 to get an A. a. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he played against Miles Garrett most of the game against Clowney when he wasn't playing Garrett's most of those times. And, you know, you can't bring in a higher level of competition pretty much in the entire league at this point. And additionally, he he did more than was expected on those plays with the highlights and the and the pulls that he made. So I very impressive game, A for Stanley. Yep, definitely agree. That was uh and I th- I just think Stanley in general has been playing extremely well these games, um, which is just awesome to see. Yeah, it really is. I mean he is he has totally come back and fixed the offensive line. Now when McCarry comes in, um it's not like oh crap you know, that's the best thing we have when, 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 uh, when you come in, it's like, okay, well maybe, maybe he can be okay for there for a while while he's taking care of Moses's position or, you know, if, he, if McCary ever came in on the inside, well, I think we'd be really thrilled with the kind of quality we'd be getting uh, from him as a player. So far, he's, he's pretty much been a tackle only this year, but at some point there'll be an injury on the inside more than likely. And, and he'll be needed there. Yep. That's my guess as well, that eventually that will, that will come to pass. Let's talk about McCarry. I thought that he had a pretty good um, outing, all things considered. I know that he, uh, just like Moses, had some of his struggles on the right-hand side when he was playing tackle there. Um, and, I'll, and I do see in your notes that he did have a hold, which really ruined his grade. Yeah, so that he only played 23 snaps. Mm-hmm. So for starters, if you play 23 snaps and you have a hold, you know that's really bad in my system. You've already lost six points. In fact, seven on this because the play was taken. Okay, so it's a minus six on a play where he could have gotten a plus one. And I'll get into that a second because he really had a wonderful play he made. Mm. Didn't really buy into the hold entirely, although it was called on him. Okay, what happened on the play is he he pancaked. Let me get to the play here in my notes here so I make sure I have this here. But he pancaked number 96, I believe, on the play. Yeah, he, he... he blocked 94 to the inside. Then he pancaked 96 right. Then he pancaked 96. And I forget who that is. He's not, it's not one of the really good linemen. So it's, it's uh, uh, one of the defensive tackles or ends. And he, he pancaked 96 to the ground. Then he fell on top of him. And then two other players um, uh, came over him. 43. I'm sorry. He blocked 94 to the ground and 43 and 96 fell over top of him. So it was almost like a three for one domino effect, <laughs> yeah. but then he gets called for the hold on, on, on uh, 94 on the play. Mm-hmm. And that ruined the whole thing. And I, it did not it looked like a pretty ticky tack call to me. And I saw a lot of holding going on in the middle. Uh, a couple plays where I thought Linderbaum was really guilty of holding and, and he was really lucky. It didn't get called, but this thing with, with, uh, uh, 
with McCary. Uh, I didn't think that was much of a hold at all, but you know, the scoring is going to be what it is. And I'm going to allow you guys to take it out if you want to, and feel free to do it. He did otherwise give up a pressure. Um, he did give up a, uh, the, the offensive hold was his only other negative play besides that pressure. Three blocks in level two, one pancake, zero of one on poles, one highlight block. This would have been another highlight block, by the way. We had it marked up for there before we had to change it for the hold. Right. Um, so he would have had a, 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 he, I'm sorry, he did have an F with a score of only 0.43. So just to give you an idea, he had 23 points and he lost seven of them on that play. So that's already 30 points below the maximum score he can have. And it's not like he didn't have any other failures. He had five missed blocks. He had a pressure allowed. So it's not like he didn't have any other negative pl- or plays that were losing him points. So he ended up only scoring eight out of 23 points. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I gave him a, a pretty big adjustment back uh, that got some, gets him all the way up to point forty three. It's about the worst game any offensive lineman's had for the Ravens as far as pure scoring goes. If you take away that uh, holding penalty, he goes from an F all the way up to a C in the mid-70s. So it, it was it was the game for him on that play. And you know, while that the penalty actually was declined on the play because mm-hmm. the play went, you know, into the Browns satisfaction. Um, but that uh, and, and I think that might have been the fumble, right? Was that the fumble? Uh, yes, that was the fumble. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that tells you the value or the cost, I should say, of post-snap penalties. They have a, a, a uh, 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 ar- ar- arbitration is not the word I'm looking for, but option value Yes, for, for, yep. the, for the defense. So you, know, you, you, you can't afford to have those happen. That's why illegal man downfield is a much worse penalty than a false start. Um, and in this case, you know, it happened to, to come up and bite McCary. So you know, I, I really do believe he played better than that in terms of, of uh, you know, how things went. But uh, because I don't really believe the holding flag was a hold, but it would have, you know, if had that run gone for a first down, had it been had, had Hill gotten down for nine yards there and, and you know, bring up third and two or third and one even, um, it would have all been negated by McCary's penalty. So, uh, you know, unfortunate set of circumstances. And uh, you can look at it as two ways in terms of F or C mm-hmm. uh, in terms of how that goes. Did um PFF have a grade on McCary that was different or was yeah PFF had a, had a high grade and PFF uh, one of the big differences we have is I think they tremendously underweight penalties I'm going to talk about this for for you can time me I will take under one (laughs) minute but you might want to start a stopwatch because I got it on this ready set go yes okay so here's here's the thing defense relies on offensive variation being high how does Mm -hmm. defense get offensive variation high they get negative plays in the run game but those are pretty rare they get strings of incomplete passes. They get turnovers of various type, interceptions, fumbles, et cetera, and they get penalties. So penalties are one of the big ways, and they get sacks. They get penalties are one of the are one of the big ways that drives get stalled. So you're not correctly weighting things if you really let offensive teams off the hook or offensive players off the hook when they have these big, severe, high severity errors. So uh, it's always been pretty big in my system that if you give up a bunch of negative yards, you do exactly what the defense needs you to do. That's oftentimes what will stall a drive and you got to get penalized for it appropriately. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I think they have a big underweight on penalties relative to my system. Did I make it? Yes, you did. 55 seconds. Well yes. done. All right. <laughs> and it was a great explanation. I completely agree. <laughs> I, I've never been more afraid of a penalty than the last 
you know, what three or four years I've been doing podcasts about the Ravens and watching it closely because, yep, <laughs> it stalls drive so often. You're totally right. Um, so I can get why you you penalize them so highly. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it was what it was. Uh, should we move on here? Let's talk a little sure. bit about Ben Powers. Mm-hmm. What, what did you see out of Powers? Anything that you want to talk about before I cut into it? Oh, just the worst possible timeline. <laughs> it, I'm great. I'm I'm grateful that he's playing well. It just uh, and obviously Cleveland's has fair share of injuries, but we talked about it before the season. That I was really hoping to see some Cleveland action, and uh, as somewhat predicted, Powers is playing well enough that I don't foresee that happening unless there's an injury and they don't want to go to McCarry for some reason. Yeah, I, I would think it will. Let's go through how Powers played in this game, but I think I'm going to come to the same conclusion as you and say that I think Powers has earned the right to fail at this point. Mm-hmm. pretty significantly before he's pulled. So, I mean, if if he had two F games in a row where he was really misplaying things and is all of a sudden there's some particular weakness in his game that shows up as a pass blocker in particular, maybe he loses his job for that. But if he continues on and, and he has a little bit of trouble pulling, as we've seen off and on this year, has not been entirely consistent with, I think he has a pretty long leash at this point to to fail before he gets yanked for Cleveland. Yep, absolutely. But uh, like you noted in here, uh, pools were much better this week. Much better. So uh, he had a half a quarterback hit. That was his only negative event. Uh, five missed blocks. Three of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. One of the things with with Powers is he's been having a tough pulling year. And so a lot of his losses haven't been at the line of scrimmage. They've been on poles where he either doesn't make a block. Sometimes he messes up, whiffs on a block or he, or he, or he gets tripped up as he did in this game. Um, but but he's but he has not had that many losses at the line of scrimmage. Three losses at the line of scrimmage in this game is, is even a little bit more than he'd been having. Um, Eleven of thirteen points on pulls this game, so they really used him a lot as a puller, and they was successful. And that reversed seven of eighteen over the previous two weeks. One of the points he lost on those pulls was getting tripped up by Linderbaum. So Linderbaum, yep. uh, it, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that Linderbaum's footwork was bad on the play, but Linderbaum stuck his foot back in a place where Powers um, was going to get tripped on that. And I really, that's something I associate with the Mike Flynn era of center in Baltimore. And uh, it's, it's not a pleasant thought, but, but in truth, I, I, there, there might've been some off balanceness there from Linderbaum right off the snap with a larger man mm-hmm. having trouble dealing with it and, and being put in that position. So hopefully that's something we don't see regularly because the, the Ravens teach footwork very well. And and uh, one of the Dallas Sanders era has been one that's been marked of very few trip ups on pulls by uh, interior linemen. I noticed a good bit of that this game, and uh, I'll fully admit that I don't always get to watch the all twenty two and and do my own uh, version of maybe I don't I don't like I said I don't have a formal system or grading, but I did watch all the offensive line plays and want to have a thought on each player. So I definitely uh, saw more of that than I normally do. And I don't know if that was just me paying more attention or if uh, it was an abnormally high game. That's what they wanted to ask you. I would say abnormally high game. Um, okay. You know, they're, they're just, they've been really good about not tripping up the center. It's just, I, I, you know, Maureen and I are having this strange dichotomy. We're doing the off season. We're, we're making some progress on 2005. By the way, we've been working on that for about three years and it's a hard season to watch in terms of the offensive <laughs> line play. Cause it's so bad. And it's, it's very, it, it also makes it slow going. Cause even though Ogden is good, every other lineman is, is weak on that team. And you, and you have you have to spend so much time adjudicating shares of things and figuring it out. And you have to do it all from the from the broadcast. So anyway, point being that there's a whole <laughs> bunch of tripping on on pulls from that year. The Ravens still trying to be a you know a heavy pulling team at that point with Jamal Lewis. 
that just isn't working out with, with a lot of what's happening with Mike Flynn at the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, then we watched the Dallas Sanders era, you know, now, and, and it's been so clean for so long in terms of the footwork being coached very well, the, the, the centers who are the large portion of the risk of there being a trip up, it can happen from the opposite guard too, but most of the time it's, it's the, it's the center who messes it up. Mm-hmm. Um, when he, he just rarely has the wrong first dance step. And the times I've seen Dallas Sanders coaching offensive line, he's extremely dance step oriented. He wants to make sure one-on-one coaching. I mean, he's, he, he sometimes only allows one rep to go at a time and he really makes sure the, uh, the, the players get it right. And, and he has this way of saying, yeah, that was great. That's great. Let's do it again. <laughs> kind of, he's, like a, he's like a Hollywood director or something. He wants the perfect take. And, and he really wants to see the guy, you know, put his step first. And when he doesn't see it, he gets right in there and, you know, goes against the guy who's got the big pad in his arm and he, and, and, and he'll go, uh, uh, no, it's left foot, right foot. You know, he's, he's very demonstrative with it in terms of, of, of what he wants to see. So great offensive line coaching. Uh, sometimes you don't even really appreciate what you have until the guy is gone. Mm-hmm. At some point he's not going to be coaching anymore and the Ravens got to start over. And it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting change for them. Yeah, hopefully not anytime soon. Yeah. Four level two blocks, two pancakes, two highlights for power. So he's still piling up good mobility numbers. Uh, Ravens did a pretty good job of getting off the line of scrimmage into level two. They just couldn't get JOK blocked when they got there, uh, which was a, a, a consistent problem. Uh, I, I saw, did see one good processing play. And I've been on powers the last couple of weeks where um, I think he has too much left, right, left, right in his, in his view screen, in his, mm-hmm. where, where, he's, where his uh, view is going. But you know, he, normally you process from the inside out. So in his case, being the left guard, he's going to process from the center. Then he's going to worry about stunts. Then he's going to worry about blitzes. Then he's going to see if Stanley needs help on a help block. And uh, you know, with Stanley playing against against um, uh, uh, Garrett, this is a game where he's got to get over there pretty quickly. He's got to be good about it. And so he did have at least one snap where he did he didn't move look back to the left, and that's been his, uh, sorry look back to the right. That's been his kind of a bugaboo. Is he'll go left, you know, look, look, you know, ahead of Tay, look for the stunt, look for level two, then, then look to the left, then look back to the right, then go to the right kind of thing. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. too late. I mean, that's, that's you know, he's the, this, this week he did have one good, good rep where I thought he really helped Stanley on time uh, with a help block. And that was a, that was a nice positive thing to see. And Stanley had, had was doing his good job of mirroring the guy and, and giving ground as he goes that, you know, we've, we've discussed in, in part one. Yeah, and I think that was something I thought Zeitler struggled with in this game. I don't want to maybe skip ahead to him, but uh, I definitely thought that there was a couple times he was just blocking air uh, and could have really helped out Moses. I don't know if yeah, you saw that I, too. I don't disagree with that, although he had some struggles of his own as a pass blocker in this game. So, you know, he wasn't, he certainly wasn't perfect. He didn't win all of his matchups. He was, uh, I, I would probably say he had more pro on run plays, but he had some missed blocks, a, a more significant number than I'm used to seeing from him. Uh, let me finish with powers. If I can, please B sure. plus. And we'll jump right on to Zeitler here. Cause you know, that's, he's a reasonable one to talk about what else is going on at the other guard. Uh, eight missed blocks for Zeitler, which is very high for a game for him. I, he's, he's normally a Yanda type guy where he's in the, you know, two to four missed blocks per game is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is, is normal i'll say not even really good and they, they had a lot of missed blocks the offensive line had a lot of missed blocks in this game you think run game is going to be pretty easy they're, they're you know regularly teeing up people but those linemen who were there for the for the browns and their familiarity probably with the raven scheme made a lot of the run blocking very difficult in this game and so they they 
you know, they weren't winning at the line of scrimmage every time in some cases because they, they were getting overpowered, but in other cases, because the players are too slippery. So right. it was a, it was kind of a mix of things, but I want, I did want to look at Zeitler and see how many of these were run plays. I'll give you a run through this because this gives people maybe an insight. Maybe they want it. Maybe they don't in terms of what it is, but I always look at my action verbs. So the first, first one is on a run play and it was with, uh, L2 whiff on 40. I'm sorry. It is L2 whiff on 28. So that's J O K not being slippery in level two. Uh, then I have L2 and B. So he, he moved to level two, but couldn't find a block. Then whiff on 96. That was some sort of a swim move. 96 put on him to get right by him at the line of scrimmage. That's a bad one to lose there. Then L2 whiff on 50. I think that's Jacob Phillips, uh, who played with queen at LSU. Then he had a pull zero, um, then he had a beaten inside by 93. So that's a direct loss of the line of scrimmage. Then he had a L2 whiff on 28 again. Again, tough to get JOK blocked up. And then an L2 ND. So he did have a lot of L2 misses and whiffs. And those aren't as serious as losing the line of scrimmage. We heard a couple of losses directly at the line of scrimmage among those eight at a minimum. So uh, not as bad a set of action verbs it can be. If you constantly get shed, shed, pancaked, et cetera, that's, that's really bad. So, <laughs> you know, you'll, you want to avoid seeing those. Um, third of a sack given up, two half penetrations against the run. I think we heard about them right here in terms of, of guys who got a bad buy them at the line of scrimmage. Eight missed blocks. Uh, I talked about a little bit, two of five on pulls. Uh, Ravens, again, were pulling much more t- with a right-handed run game in mind this time. It's not that they didn't pull any from right to left, but they didn't pull a whole lot. Uh, B overall for the game, still for Zeitler. Uh, and I think I probably paid, gave him a pretty decent adjustment. No, pretty small adjustment, honestly. Um, hmm. I have B here, but that's not right. He got a C in the game. So the B, in the, the B on, oh. the, on, on, the, on the sheet I sent to you is wrong. He actually got a C. So. Okay, that, that lines up more with what I thought then. I was a little surprised by his grade when I saw it uh, come in from you. Uh, but yeah, see, I'd, I'd agree with that for this game. All right. All right. So we didn't do Linderbaum here and we didn't do uh, Moses. Moses either. Who do you want to do first? Uh, let's go to Linderbaum. You were talking about the action verbs and I saw in your notes that the action verbs paint uh, the story. So I, I love to hear them. Actually, that was a typo there. They paint the story, but they do. They paint the story. And they also paint. So I'll go through the action verbs on him. So uh, he, he allowed a, uh, a half pressure. I, I, I have action verbs for that, but I won't bother with it. Then he, then he pulled and he missed. Uh, so that's not too bad. Uh, and then he, on an RL7, he was swam by a 96, but he held. And that's a bad one. Uh, you know, you don't want to see a hold ruining a good run play. Uh, it, it apparently was far enough away from the play that it probably wouldn't have mattered, but, uh, but you really don't want to see it happen then. Uh, then he gave up that full sack, and that was a bull then shed by 99, so that wasn't a good one. Uh, Taven Bryant is not supposed to beat you. Taven Bryan, uh, Bryant, uh, is not supposed to beat you for a sack, but uh, he did. The next one was a shed by 99 and pancaked. Again, not good. Run left for zero. PC'd by 99 to bubble 17. That's Drake. Uh, that's not a good one. Then he tripped pulling 72. Trip the pulling 72 is the way to, to read that. Not good. He was he was not pulling himself. Uh, then PC'd by 93. Not, again, not good. Uh, L2NB uh, and PC'd by 96. So he, he had four times in this game where he got pancaked. 
Uh, he yeah. definitely was Great. was having trouble uh, with bigger men in this game, and obviously he gave up a full sack. They, they, a lot of people have been tossing up information about his his zero sack total, but uh, uh, that will stop after this game, first <laughs> of all, because I said I did see PFF gave him a sack uh, on this thing. But he's he's really had a lot more difficulty as a pass blocker than that zero sack number represented at all. So sure. it's, it's it's kind of a a, a a fraudulent way to do it. I did notice Harbaugh was going out of his way to say nice things about him after a bad game, which often he'll do for an offensive lineman. You know, Linderbaum's playing great. And Linderbaum realizes he needs to get better, which is good. You know, and 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 Harbaugh said so. And that is good. You know, a guy who wants to learn is 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 going to be good. Linderbaum, I, it, it almost in his case, is not a matter of having to learn pro-style um, mechanics or pro, where he needs to be pro-style, who he needs to block. He's very good at that, I think. I, what he needs to do is figure out what are the tricks that worked in the college game that he has to throw away and which are the ones that could still work in the NFL game against much bigger men. And, and that's where that's where his problems have largely come. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't been terrible by any reasons, but but he hasn't looked good um, in terms of of being overwhelmed at the point of attack. And there's been other times whether he made good plays in this game in terms of the run game and and being out in space and making good blocks and and doing making secondary blocks in the pass game that were pretty good. I, I it's not like I don't have some positive things to say about him. It's just that it's uh, uh, you know there's is definitely much more negative than positive. He had eight missed blocks, a lot for a center uh, in this game. Five out of six on pulls is good. Three blocks in level two, three highlight blocks. That's real positive. So he deserves a you know a, a significant adjustment for that. Did not notice a bad snap. Again, you know, positive things. And Lamar having a bad game and there's still not being a bad snap is probably a very good thing because some things could have gone really wrong if there'd been a bad snap in this game with all the uh delayed rush, outside rush that 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 they saw, the extra man rush that that, that Cleveland was willing to throw at them. Yeah, when I'm when I was watching the game uh, with my co-host Chris, we we did talk about Linderbaum's struggles here, but uh, I did notice, like you said, you gotta give credit where credits do. Those highlight blocks are really tremendous, and some mm-hmm. of the ways that he can get into space, and you see him running almost as fast as the running back to get yeah. up there and you know make a, a block. And the the kinematics, like you mentioned, of that is phenomenal. Like he can just basically keep moving, and he'll make an effective block mm-hmm. against those players. So, uh, still, I think could be a very special player. Uh, not gonna, you know, damn him for one bad game, but uh, I know he's had a couple of bad games, but mm-hmm. yeah, that uh, still a lot of potential there, and and like you said, learning what tricks will work and which ones won't, and just keep improving. Yeah, I, I, I uh, I'm, I'm all there. If, if there's some kind of a funky sixth alternate Pro Bowl selection this year, I'm, not, I, I hope it will not go to his head, okay? Because, <laughs> because it's, it's not going to be the kind of thing that, that will serve him well unless uh, 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 unless he really thinks about how do I need to use this offseason to figure out what worked and what didn't kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know how much tape he's got to watch. He's certainly watched all the tape of himself. Uh, you've heard us talk about liquid death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer, but they're in the bottled water section or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol, but it looks like they've got beer? It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus, they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. And I don't know. For some reason, 
it seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of Liquid Death to coach a little league. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. Definitely get some attention. But no, I had to show everyone it's just Liquid Death. I'm just drinking water in a dugout with a bunch of little league kids. So go get Liquid Death for yourself. Test it. Try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven. Or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Probably is self-scouting to try and figure out what will work and what won't. Right. Uh, and, and you know, maybe the, the the coaches are trying to help him with that too. But uh, there's a need to uh, improve, get some additional techniques. You know, he, he might be the kind of player who knows enough about how to play football, knows enough certainly about how to play offensive line, where his blocks need to go, you know, how to, how to assist another player. He may not need that. Uh, he may need, you know, some extra special hand training, wrestling, you know, karate, one of these other things that will help him get a little quicker and deal with bigger men in a, in a, in kind of a different way. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of different possibilities. He also probably can stand to put on a little more muscle, uh, still at, at, uh, at his size. So, uh, he's got that to, to gain too. Yep. Off season always helps for these rookies. All right. D for him, this game, uh, still hoping for better, obviously, uh, move on to Moses. Yep. Let's wrap it up with him. All right. So he left early after 49 snaps. Lots of difficulty blocking on that right edge. Half a pressure, a sixth of a quarterback hit, two-thirds of a sack, 10 missed blocks. And a lot of those were mm. were plays where there could have been some kind of a pressure develop, but the ball was out quick a number of times, and and he was having other problems. He did have problems as a run blocker as well. Uh, he was three out of four on, on poles, one block in level two, one PC. Uh, he had a D before or after adjustment. I did give him a pretty big adjustment in this game, but it wasn't quite enough to get him into the C range. So uh, uh, unfortunate game. The 10 missed blocks in 49 plays is a very high total. And I'm not going to go through another set of action verbs on this. But uh, uh, it it wasn't pretty in terms of of necessarily what was going around. So anyway, a little bit insight into the offensive line scoring process in in today's episode. I appreciate you bearing with me, Alec, on that. Oh, I appreciate it. I I recently mentioned on your your channel that – or your – website that I would love to see the actual like full system uh, enumerated somewhere, maybe like in a link on the articles. Cause uh, I definitely would love to kind of, I could reverse engineer it enough, you know, you, you have enough of the, <laughs> the, the breadcrumb, so to speak, but uh, it'd be nice to see that uh, as well. I know that you've explained it enough on the shows, but just having it in one place is always great. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, what's able to do that is reverse engineer it is, is Yoshi. Yeah. If you see him, a, a Josh out there. Uh, he, he actually came back to me and he had the whole list of scores by play that, that, <laughs> and he's correct on all of them. It was, it was amazing. So, uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're right. The breadcrumbs are out there. I, I have, I, I have had that in print several times over the years. Uh, mm-hmm. and I have, I, I need to maintain it one place, but you know, what'd be fun is to have a video. I was thinking where maybe somebody hosts it but it's just Maureen and I doing offensive line scoring the way we normally do offensive line scoring at home. And we have video running and, and, you know, I'm having to call it out in the way I would have to do it <laughs> and then go back and forth on the play and whatnot. But I don't know how to do that because I really need the DVR functionality. So kind of have to like set up a camera looking at a TV to make yeah. it work. And so it'd be, it's, it's a weird technical challenge. I could do it for you. 
we'll, we'll, we'll talk. Oh yeah, we'll oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I've done plenty right. of video work uh, in my several side hobbies. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Uh, I I hope there's no homemade porn involved in that. I, oh, I don't know no. your wife now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Ken. <no. laughs> my my several side video hobbies. No, I would never get that idea from. <laughs> it's mostly friends' weddings. <laughs> mostly friends' wedding. There you go. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, uh, Rachel's funny. a good girl. Don't blow it with her. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk uh, uh, skill position players. You're the guest. Who oh, talk sure. About first. I mean, let's talk about Gus Edwards. We we talked about it at the beginning and the first episode. So I definitely go back and listen to that as well. But his ability to fall forward is uh, even though he was clearly on a snap count, we saw less of him in the second half than the first, for example. He did an amazing job and had 16 carries <laughs> and I I was really pleased to see that development and I look forward to him holding down the fort while Dobbins is out. Okay, so now this is really an interesting thing because this does not happen often. But Gus Edwards had 16 carries on 23 total snaps. He was in there to run the football, basically. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and uh, there wasn't there wasn't much in the way of uh uh messing around with it. He wasn't in there on passing downs. Uh he did pass block once. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, that was a <laughs> that's a very tight set of carries per uh, per uh, uh, snap. So yeah, it, it's uh, I could not be happier to see Gus back. And more importantly, I thought there was a good chance in this game Gus would be back and not be effective. That yeah. that he, that he might be you know a little bit slower, a little bit less bursty, and and maybe a, maybe I'm concerned about that still a little bit. But I think that he has a good chance to, um, uh, you know, be ninety percent of the player he was before. Still getting into level two, still making those big hits on that first defender, or, or getting hit by a smaller first defender. I guess I should say more often, and and still getting decent yards after contact. All right. Uh, okay, I'll pick a guy. Do you want to do it that way? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. How about we talk about uh, Justice Hill? I think. Mm-hmm. Had the kind of game I want to talk about him for sure because he he really was playing very well uh, as the game went on and obviously the Ravens had some problems with the running backs in terms of yards per carry uh, Edwards had uh, you know a solid game but Hill was up there at five point two yards per carry uh, in in his uh, in his five plays that's not a lot but you know he's still looking like both a speed guy at times and a power guy at times. Against a team like the Browns, much more important that he be a speed guy out of sidecar. So a guy who stretches the defense, who forces the defense to be worried about the off uh, outside, and you know, as we talk about, horizontally stretches that defense and creates opportunities for Lamar. I, I don't believe it's going to happen, but I really hope that Justice Hill's snap count is not reduced by being a fumbler. Okay, so it's yeah, you, know, you have yeah. It's, here's it, I guess the problem is this, because we saw this happening with Collins a few years back. The guy who has one fumble is one fumble away from having two fumbles. And once he gets two fumbles, it's like, okay, it's scarlet letter time. Let's get you into the room and, you know, get you all uh, tattooed up. Sure. (laughs) I I think the big thing with Justice Hill is the team is smart enough to know that they need to keep him out there uh, for that outside option. And one thing I want to call out is a year ago, when JK went down, one of the podcasts I like to listen to for general NFL content, Christopher Harris did a YouTube show 
discussing his concern about Edwards getting the full load, discussing that outside edge, lacking of the outside edge, really decreased his um, effectiveness. And uh, the also the read option effectiveness with Edwards in there uh, compared to, to Dobbins. And the speed. And this was like only a few days before Edwards got hurt then, right? Correct. Was, yeah. In that yeah. time period, he was like, I'm concerned about this. <laughs> and and my God, did we see it the next, that year that he was totally on the money about the way he diagnosed this um, about the team. The good news is, I, if I recall correctly, Hill did get a touch after his fumble. So it does seem like, you know, he wasn't fully uh, doghoused after that. And I, I think he'll be okay. The, the What he provides as a blocker is tremendous. You mentioned it as a pass blocker. He had some good plays. He also mm-hmm. was out in space on that fourth down play, the pitch out, and was able to get a critical block. Great point. That's, that's a run block, but that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The run block. Sorry, I, I should be more specific. Yeah, that, that run block there. He, I mean, it was a great run block. And we've seen this all year from him. I feel like, I can't recall, but I imagine he had a lot of time in special teams. Maybe that's where he got this from. But he's, he's been awesome in run blocking this year and, and pass blocking. Yeah, I, it's uh, I, I, it certainly been, been you know, a strength of the game. Whereas I think, you know, he's, a, he's still a smaller guy, but... Uh, look, as he lists lists at uh, 200 right now, but uh, it's it's honestly it's been an up and down pass blocking year as I've seen it. But this game, you know, it's it's a few plays. It always is just a few plays for a running back that you know, hey, they'll make a chip. Uh, but he made a really nice chip on one play, and then he made also this forklift move on a one on one pass block where not only had he done the right thing to maintain space, big problem. Running backs like pick up blocks way too deep in the quarterback's yeah. cone mm-hmm. and almost always, you know, creates pressure like that, that we're looking for. So we, you know, we notice it, uh, but he was out in space on the left side and he forklifted Isaiah Thomas off the ground. It was just, a, I, I, I'm still stunned by it in terms of, you know, the relative size of those two men is probably 40 pounds of difference might be more than that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's a very athletic play. Uh, the next player I like to talk about is Rashad Bateman. Coming back from that injury, we saw uh, some dynamism out of him, his ability to uh, turn on a dime and get upfield for that 26-yard play, I believe it was. And I just thought, like, when I saw that, I thought, okay, he's back. He's ready. And then we didn't see too much more from him that game. Again, <laughs> we didn't pass that much. So it mm-hmm. uh, could be a big reason for it. But, yeah, I, I want to see more out of him. I hope that he's able to play. You know, The practice uh, are definitely concerns. But I'm going to think that he's going to play this game. And I think we'll need it against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Um, if they if they don't have him, they they're going to definitely need Deshaun Jackson to try and spread out the defense a little bit. This is a a team that has a uh, you know a big interior lineman and in Vita Vea who can who can make your life miserable. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have to. That's one of the keys to this game is trying to figure out how to stop him. Uh, but they're going they're going to have to they'll have to find a way to slow him down. If they can turn him into a, into a, a uh, two gapper, uh, that would really be something in this game or a guy who has to, you know, be not green lit on all the times to co- just come right after uh, Lamar it would be, uh, would be nice if they can, if they can get that done with Vea. But uh, in order to do that, they're going to have to have some place to the outside. Bateman is right now the most reliable uh, well, Duvernay also either. Both those guys are reliable in terms of getting the ball to the outside and, uh, in in Bateman's case, it could be a screen pass or it can be a, a slant, and he can mm-hmm. take it a long way if you if you uh, really sell out on the blitz against the Ravens. Oh yeah, we saw that early in the season. Those huge plays uh, definitely has it in him. I think he's still when I watch him, I, I just 
the drops are concerning. He's mm-hmm. had way too many of those. But my gosh, when he does catch the ball, <laughs> he'd be pretty darn dynamic after the catch. And I love his route running. I mean, just he looks like he could really turn it on and be that player that we all hoped he'd be when drafted 27th overall. And um, I'm still pretty high on him. He's a 75, a 55, and a 35 this year. And they're the three Ravens' longest catches. And oh, wow. he's even though he's had a bunch of drops, otherwise he's still maintained a roughly a 10 yard per target, um, uh, you, you know, result for the year. So uh, very positive in terms of, of where he is. You know, people think about the breakout and what they always want to talk about is total yards. It's the wrong way to look at a Ravens receiver. Oh, yeah. There's always going to be a limited number of targets. Look at look at yards per target. If the guy is 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 nine and a half, ten, ten and a half yards per target, that would be a breakthrough of unbelievable proportions for the Ravens specifically to be able to have a guy who is that elusive, able to make plays after the, after the catch. Like, you know, Bateman was that guy coming out of school. He's also a guy who could wiggle free at the top of the route. Uh, and and uh, drops, frankly, were exactly what we knew we were getting when he came out of Minnesota. Had a lot of problems with that. Yep. So I don't I don't think it's uh, I don't think he's not delivered on who he is at, at this point. I think it uh, uh, you know it's uh, the Ravens have gotten what they were supposed to get with that pick. Yeah, and it, this is not the time to complain about. It, but I will just mention that it kills me how much fantasy's sort of ruined the analysis of players. Yeah, <laughs> like Bateman, like it, it kills me. It's like okay, yeah, he doesn't get all the opportunity in the world because of whatever, but it's not like he's a bad player you have to look at it differently it drives me nuts yeah 17 game season if anybody gets less than a thousand yards and when i had had somebody into me cut into me about uh dj moore and and my feeling was you know under standard circumstances meaning standardized circumstances mean they get the same quarterback it can be lamar jackson it can be it can be uh uh baker mayfield it could be pj walker (laughs) <laughs> if you want it to be, but yeah. any, any of those threes, if you get the same quarterback, those three, and you're talking about the next three years and not the last three years, I take Bateman every day. Mm-hmm. I, I over, over, uh, and you know, DJ Moore's an established NFL receiver. He certainly had success. A lot of his success. I think a lot of his yardage success has come from being a guy who picks up a lot of garbage yards, uh, for, for a bad team. You know, it's basically fantasy players understand that concept <laughs> in, in spades. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't have enough. Uh, I haven't watched enough more to say with confidence one way or the other uh, which one I would want to take. But I could totally buy that. Um, as far as yeah, it, there's just so much more you have to look at. That's what always kills me too. I I'll, I'll die by the sword of looking at the players I thought impressed me the most and like oh they didn't get the opportunities or they're not in that particular offense and oh well. By the way, the folks that want DJ Moore right now, yeah, he's in a crap situation. He's got 5.1 yards per target this year. He's caught half of 54 balls thrown to him. Uh, and it, last year, it started to be a problem when he was at 7.1. His first three years of his career, he's good. 9.6, 8.7, 10.1. That's a, that's a real solid receiver. Then he had an 1,157-yard season where he was at 7.1. Had 163 targets to get there. That's just not that good, folks. He's just not that good. And he's that's two really years that. And I realize he's 24 and 25. Uh, those two years, and maybe you can think, well, maybe there's still a chance for a comeback and whatnot. It's possible if he got into the right offense. He certainly, you know, with the, with with you know other players who are supporting him, and maybe Andrews would be a guy who who would who would uh, certainly help take away bad marginal targets from him. Uh, but but uh, you know, DJ Moore is just has not been very good the last two years, 
Uh, and and Bateman, even when he was hurt at the point we were having this discussion, was at 11 yards per target, which would have uh, set the Ravens' record if he if he kept it up. He's already he's fallen below it now, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, but he's still got you know I think a chance to have a really big year. Who you want to talk about next? Uh, let's go with Isaiah. Likely, I'm concerned about, so we'll talk about him. Maybe seven uh, targets, not seven targets, seven snaps in this game. Uh, you know, so that's unfortunate. Uh, his playing time just seems to be trimmed and trimmed. He's only in there as a receiver. He did have a catch for 16 yards. It's nice to see him get on the board in a game like this. It's nice to see the ball get distributed in a game like this. And 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 effectively, when they couldn't get it to Mark Andrews, they still had somebody to get it to those few times. Um, but it's a, he's he's uh, he's struggling to find his place in this offense. And I think we'd have to say at this point, he has not found the connection with Lamar that's going to get him a whole bunch of targets. Yeah, the likely is a very weird situation right now. Uh, it seems like sometimes when he gets the ball in his hands, he's able to go ahead and uh, make a guy miss and do what he, we saw in the preseason. But I think he's just not getting the separation necessary to get those opportunities as much. And um, I think his inability—I don't—I don't think when he comes out that people think he's a tight end, which was kind of getting back to the original comments I made last week Mm -hmm. of uh or last week earlier on episode one of these heavier packages quote unquote aren't necessarily tricking our defense because or tricking the defense that we're playing against because we're not being able to run as much out of them as i was hoping for and uh maybe it was unfair to think likely could develop more as a blocker uh in this short amount of time and it might take an off season but yeah it's definitely a bit concerning i totally agree and i could see his saps being cut down which is such a uh, departure from the, you know, training camp preseason darling we had. Yeah, I mean, he he, he is a huge preseason darling, make, making all twelve catches during the preseason. He wasn't a camp darling, which there's a lot of those too. <laughs> who you know, then they have three catches in the preseason, or they go, you know, a few catches. I mean, likely was a monster in the preseason. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so I guess yeah. Let's say uh, the next uh, player I would like to talk about. Uh, I guess we we kind of have to talk about it as Mark Andrews' ability to provide for the Ravens uh, in some weird gadget plays. The vault was open. Uh, he was the quarterback taking the snap and pitching it and also being a running back and getting a first down. But uh, no catches. And like we mentioned earlier, the scheme uh, that Lamar mentioned to take him out of the game, uh, I hope is just an excuse for an actual knee injury <laughs> that's causing some issues. Like that, That's super concerning. Uh, if they aren't able to quickly mitigate that and figure out a solution, similar to maybe the Miami game and the zero blitz. It's like, okay, they went back and they looked at it, they figured it out and they have an answer. So yeah, I'm I'm hoping that Andrews is a, a dominant player. We'll definitely need it against Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'd be concerned about that. A few things I want to unpack there, but let's go, let's start by going back to how brilliant was it to have Andrews take the snap on that play? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, I thought the big thing, too, with that is uh, I saw someone say, oh, I thought they were just trying to get them to, uh, you know, encroach or or jump or they, they weren't actually going to run the play. Uh, it was fourth down for context, and that would be a very normal thing to do. And then when they snapped it, I felt like the team was a little flat footed, kind of what she mentioned with uh, a Ricard, you know, out there <laughs> trying to run around and people be like, what's the heck's going on? Well, they, they, it was great to see, see Cleveland completely sell out on Andrews carrying the ball. 
mm-hmm. by jumping up on the line of scrimmage. And that's the effect he seems to have around the goal line. Whenever he takes that short yard snap is you get a bunch more players moving in, crowding the line of scrimmage, which obviously is part of what it made so easy to run that snap. I mean, there could have, there could have been a free runner on Lamar on that play, and he's still gotten the first down by beating him. He didn't, he didn't have to beat anyone until he got what. <laughs> seven, eight years, yards down the field. So yep. uh, really impressive play there. By the way, I think that was an exceptionally good seal block by Ronnie Stanley on that play too. Uh, that's that's one of the things I remember about it. I need to go back to it to see if I can find it. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, he almost took it to the house too. If he beat that one last right. man, he definitely would have been gone. Yeah. So uh, unfortunate that that didn't work. Um, I don't know if it was that drive. It was the, the second to last drive of the game. You can say some things about the Ravens' run game not being um, as efficient as it could have been in this game. They certainly didn't rack up a huge yards per carry number. But what they did do is run it right down the Cleveland throats when Cleveland knew it was coming and couldn't still stop it. So late in the game, on that next-to-last drive until until the Hill fumbled, uh, they did nothing but run the ball. So they passed on the first play. Then they had run for two, run for one, run for 11, run for four, run for five, run for four, run for five, run for three, run for 10, run for minus one, uh, and then run fumble. Uh, I, I don't know. I have four on that play. I think the, the fumble must have went backwards but, uh, for the recovery for Hill because he was within a couple of yards of the line of scrimmage on second and 11. But the, the point is, when you see numbers like that, and they're moving the ball on the field like they're, you know, Woody Hayes offense, three yards in a cloud of dust, uh, you, you really know that that offensive line is having their way uh, with the defense, despite the fact they know exactly what's coming. It, it speaks mm-hmm. of tiredness. It speaks of, you know, a, a effective play, and and it, it just wasn't borne out in the um, in the yards per carry number, which was which was unfortunate, but but it was what it was, and it was actually fortunate. That those that those first downs they were getting were like just first downs, you know. So there was enough of the field left that the Ravens actually could have put the game away. First of all, with a touchdown, but second of all, possibly with with not even scoring and getting the first down on the hill play mm-hmm. or the next one, and then one more first down probably would have done it at that point. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully we see a little bit more out of of Andrews and a little bit more out of the offense. Uh, I guess. Uh, you know, we've always said the offense goes the way the Andrews goes. Um, they were able to make it work this game. Any other players you want to talk about? Uh, you know what? A, a Duvernay, again, you know, really nice catch on the right sideline. Did some very positive things in this game. They didn't, they're not using him as much as a gadget player anymore. They're really trying to use him more as a receiver. Uh, that to me is interesting because, you know, you look at that Cincinnati game and an opponent who knew them very well, it, the gadgetry of of uh, him was was so central of Duvernay was so central to the offense. Uh, boy, it was nice. It was nice to see it. Yeah, getting the ball in Duvernay's hands has been super effective. And I know there's usually no reason to have a special team show, but this might have been a week for it. Uh, Duvernay was tremendous as a special teamer. Uh, his returns, he's un. I feel like without a doubt going to be a pro bowler again this year with the rate he's yeah. going with his returns. It is special. We, we compared it in our show uh, last time to being when we had Jacoby Jones as when you really thought like this guy, when he's catching the ball, he could do something on any given play. And I honestly think it's more so than Jacoby Jones personally. Uh, I just really have loved what I've seen out of Duvernay. I don't think anybody's more than Jacoby Jones. I'll take the opposite side of that argument, but <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. You, you know, what's true in the, in right now in the, 
AFC in general, the AFC North in particular, there are a lot of these big-footed punters uh, around the league. Now, Matariza didn't happen to hang on, but but uh, Stout is here, of course, and Bajorquez uh, had a 76-yard punt in this game that yeah. went kind of unnoticed. It went into the end zone, but uh, you know it was was impressive nonetheless. Um, the the guys who who are going to outkick their coverage regularly. Uh, normally that's not such a terrible thing, but with, with Duvernay, I kind of feel like it could be with Jermaine Lewis. I certainly felt like it could be, mm-hmm. uh, way back in the day, but, uh, but I think it's exciting again to have, uh, 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 Duvernay be back there. He's not, he's not making any attempt and the Ravens generally are not making any attempt to bring out a return from any more deep than about three yards into the end zone. Mm-hmm. So they used to talk about. Jones judging the trajectory of the football. So if it was a low trajectory, he'd bring it out even from 108, 109 to, mm-hmm. to, to try and make the return. Um, but if but if it's uh, a high trajectory kicks, uh, he doesn't want any part of it, even if it's just past the goal line. So I think I think it's probably the right philosophy with the starting point at the 25. Yeah, I was about to say that that was a change, right? Since uh, the Jacoby Jones era, where they kick it from. I have to think about exactly when they put it, put that in play, meaning I have to look it up because I, I because I can't remember. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this while maybe you look it up. Uh, maybe you won't. I don't know. But I, I will say the thing that really makes me love Duvernay is his ability to be patient and always be going upfield, but giving his blockers time to set it up for him. I just think he does a tremendous job of waiting for the next block, waiting for the next opportunity for him to then explode with his speed through the hole that's provided and, and trying to get that uh, extra yardage. But I, I appreciate the lack of dancing. I appreciate his very straightforwardness, but also his patience to let things develop in front of him. You are correct. 2016 is when they switched. So the Jones era, they they were still only giving you the 20-yard line. Yep. So, yeah, that definitely kickoffs really dramatically changed from that. Uh, uh, let's take a look at Twitter real quick. Unless there's another play you want to talk about. Oh, no, there was a, a great tweet. I would love to talk about, uh, in the mailbag for this game. Um, so it, it uh, Brent, uh, Brett Hammonds. Yeah. Yeah. Raven's dad, 1985. Um, could you break down Stefanski's decision to kick a 56 yarder instead of a fourth and one? I thought it was a poor decision since the best case scenario was a tied game with the Ravens getting the ball back. Yes. I, I agree. I thought it was a poor decision as well. It made all kinds of sense, uh, you know, given the amount of time left. And there's right around a minute left in the game at that point. I think, and I'm going to I'm going to go look that up and cheat a little bit because I think I think that's the case because the Ravens had to run the ball three times and the Browns still got the ball with about 20, 30 seconds left. So it seems to me there might have been 50 seconds to a minute left. There's at least uh, over a minute because like, I think they got the ball back with 108, if I recall correctly. But, yeah, you're you're the, it actually the field goal the initial field goal formation was at 2 209 huh on on 4th and 5. So it was beyond the 2 minute warning. Yeah, I I would hate that too. It was not a 4th and 1 though, it was a 4th and 5. So, yeah, 3rd and 12, Brissett scrambled left and then there was a seven-yard takedown by Owe. I wonder if he means a different fourth and one in the game. Did they kick it on another fourth and one? Uh, mm-hmm. No, I think that's got to be it. Um, and but you know what? I think the point still point still goes even at fourth and five. I know I know they really like Cade York, uh, but fifty-five yards is a long way to kick a field goal, and two minutes is a long time to have to defend. 
Lamar Jackson moving the football. <laughs> yeah, you give that guy four down football. <clears throat> Good luck. But uh, yeah, it, it, as the question originally was saying, fourth and one, yeah, I would have went for it um, for sure. Uh, this is the kind of, I'm always basically team go for it. And uh, I was really pleased that uh, two fourth down calls were successful this game. So we didn't have to deal with that all over again, uh, particularly if I ended in a loss. But uh, yeah, that um, I, I was very surprised uh, when they went for the 61 yard field goal after the uh, pushback. Just because I was like, man, I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> you know, I just and and they cheated. It wasn't a sixty-one. It was a sixty-yard field goal. Um, it, it, the ball was actually at the forty-two. I know a lot. A lot was made by the announcer okay. who wasn't quite spotting the football correctly on the field. <laughs> Fair enough. And I guess the other thing I would say too, um, they said in the press conference afterwards that they kicked some. He he kicks the ball shorter. It's more line drives. Uh, you know, doesn't give as much loft on the ball. Um, even on his shorter kicks, I went back and watched, and I agree. Like I see what they were talking about. It that they definitely are a little bit of screamers coming out of his, uh, you know, coming off the foot, and they don't get as much uh, lift. So the ability for us to block it was pretty cool. Really, an interesting play in general to have uh, Harrison, who was right there on the left hash, mm-hmm. and he was he kicked the ball. The spot was directly on the inside of the left hash. And ball went on the slide drive. There wasn't anybody else there, by the way. Harrison was alone in that spot. If you see him, there's nobody around him, another, not another player. It's not, nobody's making space for him. There's two guys to his right, and then most of the guys were, were lined up on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage trying to get some sort of a block going. And then there were a couple guys who were standing off from the line of scrimmage expecting a fake, which, by the way, is a great plan for a 60-yard field goal. You want to make sure you, you don't jump offside on the edge and give them five yards back to get another shot at, well, another shot, first of all, at deciding they, they might want to run an offensive play, which would have made a lot of sense. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think they would have probably had a better chance to win the game if they'd run Nick Chubb on fourth and five than they did, you know, kicking the ball with York. And that's not just going by the result. That's, you know, they get another chance to do it if, if you do that. I see another uh, good question. Um, I, well, be- before we do that, there's, yeah. there's there's something else I want to say about sure. the thing. I don't actually think that kick was going to be good from 60. I, it was on the left hash, blocked on the left hash. Unless he was drawing it back, and you think about it, most kicks from right-footed kickers they they get pulled. And that does depend on the wind and this and that and whatnot. But you know, it would you typically your, your error is going to be to pull left. Uh, if you if you're really lucky, you're kicking it low and straight, but. To right. me, that you know, that ball looked like it was probably headed for a wide left anyway. Uh, great block by by Harrison. Just fantastic that he was able to get it done. And uh, the guys played very hard this year. Done a lot of positive things on the defense that have been kind of under unheralded, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a that was just a, a you know really nice to get to see him getting paid off with a big play. Absolutely. Uh, I guess the next question I would love to address is. Uh, Ravens Andrew on Twitter. Why not sprinkle in some more quick game with that got Huntley going last season? It seemed like every pass play is too long developing and low percentage. Uh, we talked about it earlier. That's exactly what I would love to have seen, particularly when we saw the pass rush really disrupting uh, Lamar's flow. I thought, you know, make it simpler. I know, <laughs> again, you know, you're the push and pull of Lamar Jackson's incredible at extending plays and making huge plays out of it. But I, I almost would rather when the pass rush is being that effective say, you know what, we got to get the ball out faster and get the other playmakers hands, um, make it a little bit easier on Lamar and give him that rhythm. 
Yeah, I would agree with uh, with all that. I think we've been through it. Unfortunately, you think about what got Huntley going last year. I mean, they had to scheme the ball out of his hands because of a low pocket awareness, and th- that's not good either. Um, with Lamar, they you know they they do have a backup plan if he on plays where he they can't get the ball out of his hand. They still have the Lamar extend the play, Lamar run, Lamar all, all the good things Lamar can do for you um, when under pressure anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a team who really understood you know, what Lamar likes to do. They had good weapons against him with two edge rushers and JOK. And it's just, it was an, it was a tough game, you know, in terms of, of the matchup here. And then, you know, the point was also made about, about getting Andrews all schemed up it means you've got to find other people to get those quick plays, whether that's Duvernay, uh, you know, running back on some quick outs and, and, or whatever it might be. Um, but you've got to, you've got to find other ways to get the ball outside of the tackle box, basically quickly. Yeah, I, I hope that's one of the adjustments they make going into the next week. All right, let's see what's holding the Ravens. This is from Mark B. Redding, Mark the Ravens. Um, what's holding the, the passing offense back? Are they leaning into the run too heavily? There's always people who believe they're leaning into the run <laughs> too heavily, and and I basically would say any game you win. It's probably not the game to bring up the fact that they they ran too much in the game because let's face it, teams in the NFL they win because they run, they don't run because they win. Sorry, they run because they win, they don't win because they run. Right. So, uh, you know, this was a game where it, it it went to that formula. They they ran in the fourth quarter and they ran a bunch of times consecutively. We've been over this already during this episode, so I won't do it again. But they they were able to move the football very effectively. Uh, uh, with the run, even when the Browns knew it was coming and, and just couldn't stop it. I think there were a, he- a few bad variance plays, so to speak, away from maybe a lot more effective of a pass game. Uh, we had the hold on um, Andrews that, you know, made it not uh, maybe a successful play, perhaps that, you know, helps out the pass game. We saw the deflection uh, where the, the ball was going to Drake and he looked like he had nothing but daylight. Yes. We had, had the um prochet call uh you know retaliation call where that negated a big play mm-hmm. uh from ricard so you know there's a couple things there but you know it kills me i feel like it's just a lack of execution which is such a boring thing to say sometimes but i'm looking at the passing offense trying to figure out what's going wrong and i would like to think maybe a couple fast balls out would allow the uh, um you know pass rush to maybe slow their roll Maybe less, uh, they'll drop more players back, kind of thing, and we'll see if that would help. But uh, yeah, I just it's it's difficult, Ken. I, I really struggle sometimes to know what exactly it is holding this offense back, and I, I I wish I had a better answer. Yeah, it's it with the Ravens, the with with the personnel the Ravens have, and specifically having Lamar Jackson, offense versus defense does not have to be exclusively a game of rock paper scissors. So. It's not a matter of if you have Tom Brady, you need to misdirect the offense into thinking that you're, you're, you know, they should blitz you so you can pass the ball to the outside and vice versa. You know that you can you can do things quickly over the middle or you can uh, get rid of the ball deep if you can if you can back off that pass rush. Uh, it, it's it doesn't have to be this rock paper scissors game because Lamar can really get you a win even when you're supposed to get a loss. So what's what does have to happen some is they have to throw in some of those plays so they can just back it off a little. And that's, that's the part that I really agreed about uh, with about what you, what you just said is that um, let's, let's, let's put a slow down the rush a little bit by showing that we have ways to beat it. 
That's the most important thing they can do after three straight games of getting beaten by the by a, the teams that knew them well. You know, Bengals, Wink, and and Browns. Mm-hmm. Those 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 are, the, those are the last three teams they've played, um, and and they. You know, those two teams understood, you know, what Lamar Jackson likes to do and and they have some ways to frustrate him and they put them into play. And, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate. You know, the next team they play is Tampa Bay. They don't have this great familiarity with the Ravens, they, they, but they do have three weeks of film now to look at and say, oh, what should we do? Well, let's let's make sure we try and get some odd man rushes. Let's, uh, you know, do some unusual simulated pressure to drop people. Let's have, have a spy who shows up late. You know, they, they have all that stuff. So the Ravens need to have some way to, to demonstrate that they can answer, um, uh, you know, when, when the other team wants to bring an extra man. Probably wonders if Tampa Bay was looking ahead with that colossal collapse <laughs> against <laughs> the Panthers. Um, but, uh, you know, just tremendously bad on third down in that yeah. game. So we'll see. Let's see what they, they can bring. Um, not the kind of team I want to mess around with. They just feel like they're, they're so underperforming, just like the Ravens in a way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't want to catch them on the week. They figure it out. Mark had two more questions here. What percentage of the play should Lamar run himself on either QB designs or scrambles? Well, the scrambles are going to be whenever he sees the opening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's actually not that many runs per year. I think it ends up being about three to four per game that Lamar will get in terms of scrambles uh, and, and design runs uh, more. I mean, that's that a lot of mesh plays and he keeps a lot on a lot of those. So, you know, would I like to see five per game of those? I probably would. I'd, I'd like to see at least, I'd like to see eight to nine carries from Lamar in a typical game. How about you? Yeah, difficult to say. Uh, always so dynamite with the ball in his hand. I I would I would probably say roughly the same amount of snaps. I would say the biggest thing with Lamar that kind of makes it tricky as well is when you say like uh, the scrambles. He definitely this year and last year has tried to hold on to the ball longer and you know, trust his ability to stay in the pocket and deliver the pass. And a couple of times it bites him, obviously, where if he just went off sooner, he had the lane, he could have gone, you know, five, six, seven, who knows how many yards because he's Lamar Jackson. Um, so sometimes it's a little painful uh, to see us pass up. Part of me wonders, like, was 2019 so special because Lamar was a little bit more willing to just run? And then you know who he is within the open field. Obviously, you don't want to lean on that forever. He won't have it necessarily forever. But I do think there's a, a level of his clock. The run was a little shorter that year. And I think that almost helped him in a way. Um, hate to say that. Uh, I don't know if you would agree with that. I, I, it might have been coming out of 18, certainly where he had he had a, you know, basically run as soon as he yeah, had the opportunity right. thing. Uh, that's certainly true. But I want to give you a, a, a combined number here. Uh, Lamar Jackson has 146 scramble yards on 18 plays. He's lost 69 yards in total on sacks this year. So he's got 77 net yards, scrambles, net of sacks. Those are forced not to pass plays, as I call them. You divide that by the 32 plays where he's he's run in those situations, and it averages 2.4 yards per play. I'm going to tell you, folks, that is terrific when – you're caught in the backfield and you average 2.4 yards per play by a combination of scrambles and sacks. There are very, very few quarterbacks. There might be one or two others in the entire National Football League who would have that kind of an average over a season. Lamar set, I believe, what is an NFL record, although it's it's very hard to you know go through and detail all this. Um, in 2019, 
when he had 5.1 yards on such plays. So think about that. You know, you're you're, you're about to give up a second. So when we think of Lamar Jackson, just trust his judgment a little bit in terms of what went right. It didn't go perfectly right in this game. He gave up some big sacks, or he ended up with some big sacks. So throwing away the football might have done him some good. But in, in most of the time, the balance of times, it works out very well for him, and and we can just be thankful we've got him. Oh, for sure. All right, let's call it there for today. Unless you want to talk about DJX, what what do you think he'll get stats wise <laughs> on Thursday here? And that's oh, Cakes Mitchell. I don't know. I, that, that's so hard to guess. I would say. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll get, we'll give this for both of us. Let's see. Yeah. It, it assumes that he plays. Yeah. What are his stats? Because I think there's a pretty good chance still he doesn't play. Yeah. Assuming he plays three targets, one reception, 17 yards. You know, I really have a hard time finding any problem with that. That, that bothers me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. I think that's that's a that'd be a really good bet. I might give him. Yeah, I mean, my my answer it probably is going to be something like one one point five catches instead of instead of one, uh, <laughs> and then I'm going to give a yardage total that's going to be you know twenty three or something. But it's it's it wouldn't be an exceptional yards per target number either. So uh, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's really hard to say. I Again, we love passing the ball around to so many different players a lot. And I just, it it's really hard to predict that any one Ravens receiver will have that many catches, let alone targets in a game. Um, so that's just, that's just a the thing. There's just so little uh, density unless your name's Mark Andrews. Right. Well, I, you know, let's just hope that the Ravens don't have a chance to find out what life without Mark Lander, Andrews is like. He's DNP in these first two practices this week, and hopefully he'll be back. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely fantastic time talking football with you, Alec. Always is. Uh, you know, it's uh, like family coming back. We appreciate you spending, <laughs> the, spending the time and uh, uh, talking this long with us. Uh, uh, tell folks one more time where they can find you on Twitter and your show. Yeah, uh, at one winning pod on Twitter, and you can find our show with Peter and Chris uh, at least twice a week um, on uh, onewinningpod.com. And I also actually want to give one last plug for the YouTube channel because one thing that's really unique is uh, we do the history corner. Now, Peter has been leading this effort uh, on Fridays, Pearl Fridays in the morning at 8 a.m. They release uh, this week, it'll be uh, either Wednesday or Thursday, uh, release just because of the compressed week. But uh, I really have enjoyed the history corner. He puts a lot of work into going back in time and finding a uh, piece of history that will relate to the game. And um, they've been really entertaining and, and pretty well received. All right. That's good to hear. You, you don't know what this one is about. You can't say. Oh, I do know. It's going to be uh, uh, top five defensive performances against Tom Brady. Okay. Pernell McPhee in the 2012 AFC championship game. I, I don't know. I don't, I'm not privy to what they are yet. I, I watch them just right. like, you know, with everyone else. I don't, I don't know the script beforehand. Uh, Peter's been doing all the lift for that. So, uh, but yeah, I imagine uh, that will show up for sure. Cause I, okay. I, I at least pick that game. Okay. That's a, that's a good one. Um, uh, other folks out there, I, I want to plug one thing as well. You know how to reach me on Twitter. If you, if you uh, want to send me a DM, they're always open. I'd love to hear from you. If you want to do a show, fantastic. If you have an idea for a show, Hit me up with that. I'll try and find somebody else. If you don't feel confident about talking about it, 
I'll find somebody else to talk about it with me, but I love your, your ideas. Somebody hit me one with one today and they, they didn't really want to do it themselves. It was kind of apparent from the back and forth. So I said, okay, we can, you know, I can find somebody else to do it. That'd be terrific. Uh, but, uh, uh, the other thing I want to say is have a, a podcast and a YouTube out there from, with Aaron Schatz, uh, who's the founder and editor in chief of football outsiders. First of all, he's a great guest, knows the history of football very well. And he's an entertaining guy to talk with. This one is a great topic. It's about Justin Tucker and how basically in his 10 years, plus these seven games, in fact, it was done after six games, um, that he's already the greatest kicker in NFL history for his career points above expectation on his field goals and extra points. And incredible uh, that that would be true. And it's also incredible who the number two guy is because you never, you'd never guess uh, the number eight guy, by the way, you probably would guess cause he's a Baltimore guy, but the, the number two <laughs> guy, you would never guess. Uh, so yeah. uh, very exciting that uh, we had a chance to have him on. Uh, he did. A, he's just kind of a self-taught mathematician who's, who did a lot of it himself. Anyway, really worthwhile listen. It's out there on YouTube. If you if you find it, just you look at the Film Study channel for that. And uh, I hope you give that a try. Yeah, it was Alec, a great video, Ken. Oh, you, you enjoyed it? Yeah, I did. That's great. Uh, Alec, thanks again for being on. Of course. And I'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.